0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Mark. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 11. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter Number 11, we're walking with Jesus Christ through the gospel record of Mark. And as a reminder, the gospel record of Mark shows Jesus Christ as the perfect servant. That it's written to the Roman mind. And the things that the Romans were looking for was they were looking for the man of action. They respect it, not words, but what people did, the actions of it. And the gospel record of Mark shows Jesus continually in action, continually doing miracles, continually moving forward. The gospel record of Mark doesn't have a lot of his discourses, it doesn't have a lot of um, prophecy but it shows Jesus Christ and his miracles and how he interacts with individuals and how he interacts with people and it shows him continually working. In the gospel record of Mark there are 16 chapters. 12 of those chapters begin with the word and just to show that continual action. Now as we've been traveling through we now enter into what we call the passion week. The last week of the Lord Jesus Christ here on this earth and it begins with this event that we find in the gospel record of Mark chapter number 11. The gospel record of Mark chapter number 11 and if you wouldn't mind looking with me in the gospel record of Mark chapter number 11 and notice with me starting at verse number 1. The gospel record of Mark chapter 11 and verse number 1 the word of God says this, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereupon never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways meet or met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and straw them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the evening tide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And if in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Mark in chapter number 11? The gospel record of Mark chapter 11, and notice the phrase in verse number 9, as the people are exclaiming out to the Lord, notice the phrase, Blessed is he that cometh. Blessed is he that cometh. And with this, we want to preach a message with this title, Blessed is he that cometh. It is also known here, this passage, the triumphant entry. So if you were looking for a subtitle or a description, the triumphant entry entry. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you for that we have the privilege of gathering together to worship you, to acknowledge you, to exclaim your name, glory to God in the highest. As we study this passage here, we're asking that we would learn more about whom you are, about your character, about your wisdom, about your knowledge, about who you are, that we could be amazed by you, that we can look at this passage and think about what a wonderful, powerful, all-striking God. Glorify your own name and your own person. Again, I recognize that there's no good thing in me and that if it's done in my power and my strength that I would fail and mess things up. So the best I know how I surrender myself to you once again. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. So you can get your own work accomplished through your precious word. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. From this point on I want to add a special features to here. I would like to add our calendar date to this passage. And so if we were to go based off of our calendar, this event would happen on Sunday, March 26th, 8030. So Sunday, March 26th, 8030 is when this event occurs. As we start working and we want to try to put in place the things that happened during this last week, it's just a gee whiz information, but to me it just shows that the Bible and its context and show that this is a historical event, not just a fairy tale or a mythology, but this actually happened and there's a date when it happened. And when we explore this passage, this is an amazing passage and we want to take our time to go through here, the very first thing I'd like to show you is Jesus omnipotent knowledge. Jesus is omnipotent knowledge. We have a God who knows everything. The word omnipotent carries the idea, omni means all. The potent carries the idea he's all powerful, but he's also all knowable too. Jesus is omnipotent knowledge. Notice with me in verse number one. And when they, that's Jesus and his disciples, came nigh to Jerusalem, so they're coming to Jerusalem. Remember, we've been following in the last several uh, messages as Jesus has made his way from the, uh, his headquarters in Galilee and has gone through the Jordan River, around the Jordan River, and has come back. The last time we met, he was in Jericho, which was 30 miles out. Now he comes to Bethany and Bethpage, which is suburbs right next to Jerusalem and the entering into it on the Mount of Olives. Notice again verse 1, and when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples. So he gathers up and says, boys, I need two volunteers. And you can almost imagine the 12 disciples looking at each other and finally he says, you and you, I want you. Many people believe that it's Peter and John that he sends and tasks them with this. We're going to go with that illustration of James and John through here. Notice with me in verse 2. So what does he tell them to do? And saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you should find a colt tied, wherein never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. Now, this is an amazing passage. Think about what he's telling the disciples to do. Peter, John, come here. What I want you to do is I want you to go into the next town. And right when you go into the next town at the very first crossroad, so he's giving them an address, I want you to go there. And when you go there, you're going to find a colt that is tied up. And by the way, this colt has never had anyone ride on it. I want you to take the colt and bring it to me. And if any man asks you, why are you doing this? Just say, the Lord hath need of it. The master has need of it. Jesus has need of it. And they'll let you go. Now think about how fantastic of a statement this is. That Jesus has a lot of divine knowledge. Things that he, humanly you couldn't know. He's been with his disciples. He hasn't entered into the next town yet. They're staying at Bethany. Page is next. And he's telling them, I want you to go to the next town. And I want you to go to this address. And there is going to be a cult. Now, let's put it this way. Let's say that someone sent the two of, two of you to go into the next town over. As we're getting ready to enter into Green Bay, let's say that you go into the community of Oneida. And I want you to go to a certain address over in Oneida. And when you get there, I want you to, there's going to be a brand new car that no one's ever driven in except to drop it off. And I want you to get in. The keys are going to be in it. I want you to get into that car. Drive off. And if anybody stops you, you say, Jesus has need of it. How would you like to volunteer for this job? How do you think that would turn out? This is pretty amazing. And The disciples are going, okay. I mean, how would you respond if you were told to go to a certain address? And at the address on the corner, there's going to be a brand new car. And the keys are going to be in it and you drive away with it. That's pretty fantastic. In addition, Jesus had knowledge about the cult, It had never been ridden. Well, Jesus hasn't been there in his earthly body. Remember that Jesus is still God. He is God robed in flesh, and he had divine knowledge, but that is fantastical knowledge, humanly speaking, that no one has ever ridden it. Now, I don't know how uh, familiar you are with farm animals. Um, I had the privilege of growing up on a ranch and uh, we, me and my brothers and cousins, we rode horses and broke horses. Now we've got to define the word broke. That means you don't break down the horse. Now they're hobbled. But it carries the idea of training a horse, breaking that wild spirit so that they are rideable. Because there's one thing about a colt or, or a horse is that they don't want to be ridden. And they do everything they can not to let you ride it. And so Jesus is saying, here is a cult that has not been broken. They have not been trained. It's never been ridden. And what you're going to expect is that cult is going to fight against you. Well, that's always good news. But again, that is divine knowledge. It has never been ridden. So boys, here's the plan. You and you, James, John, come here. I want you to go to the next town and go into the city and go to the corner of such and such streets. And there, there's going to be a cult and I want you to take it. Then, if anybody asks you about it, that wasn't part of the bargain. They were hoping to maybe to sneak in and out. But if anybody catches you and stops you, what you're supposed to tell them is the Lord hath need of this. Now, how would you feel to have this assignment to know that someone's going to ask you what you're going to do and you come up with the only thing is the master has need of it and they're supposed to let you go we have jesus's omnipotent knowledge he knows everything now when we say he knows everything we mean he knows everything do you know that jesus knows what you think about He knows what your heart's desire is. He knows your infirmities. He knows your abilities. And when we talk about his knowledge, it's not just a a, um, generic knowledge, meaning that if he looks at your head and say, I think you got about 4,000 heads, or looks at someone else and says, "Ah, you've probably got about 10 10, uh, hairs on your head. Maybe um, he doesn't just guesstimate But if he was to pluck one of your hairs out, he could say this is number 4,685. That's how intimate of a knowledge he has. Of you, of the world, he knows everything. He knows how things work. He knows what's going to happen. That's one of the wonderful things about God's divine knowledge is he does know everything. That's one of our shortcomings is that we don't know everything. We've all made decisions based off the information we had but we found out because we didn't have all the information we made a bad choice. Do you know that God never makes a bad choice? Because he has perfect knowledge over everything. That's one of the attributes about God is he does know everything and he knows everything in detail. His omnipotent knowledge. Which brings us to something else. Jesus' obedient servants. Jesus' obedient servants. So he lines them up says, James, John, you and you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to this address. And at this address, there's a cult that's never been ridden. I want you to bring them back. And if anybody talks to you, asks you what you're doing, you say the Lord has need of this, and go your way. So James and John go. Now again, I want you to think about you being in their place. Jesus has told you to go into the city. Would you be nervous? Would you be kind of worried? Would you be thinking about, am I stealing? What, am I gonna, what are people going to think about me? By the way, that is something we usually have a problem about. Is that we're usually not worried about what people are thinking about the Lord. We're thinking about what people will think about us. Why don't we tell more people about the Lord? Because we're afraid of what they're going to say about us. But we need to divorce ourselves from that and say, no, it's all about the Lord. We need to point them to God and who he is. Notice with me in verse 4. And they, those two disciples, went on their way and found the colt, tied by the door without, in the place where the two ways meet. And they lose him. Again, use your divine imagination. They step into the city. Don't you think there's something inside of them that was doubting? Are we going to find this here? Is it really going to be here? Then they look and see it. And then they start looking around, hoping that no one is there, but no such luck. Notice with me in verse 5. And certain of them that stood there. Now, imagine, as you see the cult, that's great. But then you see that there's a small crowd. We don't know how many people's there, but there was several people there. That's another thing. I've got to go in front of all these people. And make it look like I'm minding my own business and grabbing this. Now, there are some people who are good at not looking nervous. There are some who are not. How would you be? Would you be kind of shaking and don't talk to me? Don't ask me anything? Would you look guilty about taking that? Would you be able to go in with confidence? Well, whatever it is, they start to take it. Two strangers. These people haven't seen them before take this colt. And as they start taking them, one of the people say, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing there? That's not yours. And it says that they, they um, verse five, and certain of them that stood there said unto them, what do ye, loosing the colt? And they, the disciples, said unto them, even as Jesus commanded. What did Jesus command them? To say that the Lord hath need of them. That was their, their whole explanation. The Lord hath need of them. And the people said, okay, don't you think that would be a big surprise? Even though Jesus said it, you're taking this colt and it's kind of worried about what's going on. And the people asked, what are you doing? It's not yours. Jesus had need of that. Okay, go ahead. That was probably a surprise answer. Now, I want you to stop. Some people might accuse God of telling these disciples to steal. Do you think that's true? I think, personally, we can't prove it in scripture, but knowing God, doesn't it make sense that God had been preparing that person that day? That colt was already tied up, ready to go. That colt was laying there. It could have been that God had been preparing the owner of that Maybe God had been working with him that morning and said, you need to put that coal taut. Maybe he was working on something and saying, you know what, you need to do something for the Lord today. And he was thinking, I don't know what I should do for the Lord. And then the two disciples come up and say, the Lord had need of this, there it is. Now, again, I can't prove it, but I don't believe God would ask them to steal. I believe that God had already been preparing the owner to be a blessing. Wouldn't it be just like God. You know, sometimes we don't know the details. Let's say that we're going to go knock on someone's door. We don't know what God has already been doing to prepare that person to receive the message. There's been many times, many times, when we go knock on someone's door to tell them about the Lord, and they said, I was just asking and thinking about going to church. I was just thinking about Eternal things. I was just here ready to take my own life. And you knock on my door. That's the wonderful thing about God. Is that God prepares us. But God is also preparing them. Because God is that big. And that amazing. And that all the disciples had to do was obey. And God was already doing a work to prepare for this. What a great God that we have. So we start off. With Jesus' omnipotent knowledge. He knows everything. We also see Jesus' obedient servant. But then we see this. Jesus honored king. Jesus as the honored king. So they come back and they bring this colt. Now remember, this colt had never been ridden. And the normal response of a colt or a horse or any type of riding animal at the very beginning is they don't want to be ridden. But this colt gave no problems whatsoever Jesus Christ. In fact, this cult was more obedient to Jesus Christ than most of his Christians. Notice this in verse 7. And they brought the cult to Jesus and cast their garments on him. So they threw their coats upon him and Jesus used that as a saddle. And he sat upon him. And they spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches off trees and straw them in the way. Now as Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem, people heard it was Jesus. And so they actually took off their coats, their robes, and put them in Jesus' way to make a path for him, to honor the king. Some of them went down and took the palm trees. Now I don't know, we're in Wisconsin, y'all don't have palm trees. In Arizona, where I'm from, we do have palm trees. And they're not a low-cut bush. It takes some work to cut. It's not like you could just take a branch off like you're taking a switch. But it takes some work to get some palm trees off. But they went and they climbed the trees. They cut the palm trees. They laid them down on the road again to honor the king. To glorify him. To put something special. This is the king who is entering into Jerusalem. What an amazing thing. Jesus has been in Jerusalem several times before and they have never done this. But again, God is preparing the way and he's making a big deal that this is something special as Jesus is entering in into this last week. These uh, coats, these garments, these leaves were placed in to pave the way. Notice with me if you don't mind. Verse number nine, and they that went before, and they that followed, so there's people that were leading the procession. There was people afterwards. They cried, Hosanna. This idea of Hosanna is a big deal. It means praise now, praising God and who he is. Hosanna, praising God. Notice as it goes on. It says, and they went in before and they followed, cried, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David and cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now this is a big deal because they are recognizing that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. That God had promised David that there would be a king from his lineage who would rule forever. And these people are praising God and recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who was promised of scripture. This is our Lord. This is our king. This is the one that has come. As they give here, they give quotations. We're not going to turn there, but as for your reference, that is found in Psalm 118 verses 25-26. through This is uh, this prophecy that is uh, prophesying this event and giving them praise. Now, the Romans who are looking at this, they would probably look confused. That some king is riding in on a donkey paved with clothes. Their emperors, they entered into a city victorious with all their spoils of war, with chariots and pomp and circumstance. So they would look at this and say, what is this? But the Sanhedrin, the scribes and the Pharisees, they would look at this differently. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, he is just, and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the fowl. Of an ass. The Sanhedrin and those that knew scripture would say there's something to this. This was prophesied in scripture. This is the Messiah. Now they're not happy about it. But this was all prophesied. This was something that was listed in scripture. That once again Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He is the Messiah. Now what is the point of this? What do what we make it a big deal out of this? Because how you see Christ is how you respond to him. You know there are some people when they think of Jesus Christ the only thing that they see of Jesus Christ is that he's a little baby. The only time they think about Jesus is the babe in the manger during Christmas time. And so they say, well oh, what a cute baby. But who's afraid of a baby? Who obeys a baby? There are some other people that because of artist renditions they see Jesus as the long haired milk toast uh, hippie Jesus. But I want to tell you that Jesus was a man's man. How do I know? Well, we'll see a little bit later. But in the gospel record of John, Jesus, before he drives out the money changers, makes a scourge. That's called premeditation, by the way. And when he goes in to chase the money changers, they all ran. Why did they run? Because he was a man-man behind it. Let me give you an example. If Jesus went in and said, stop it, guys, get away. Do you think they would run? No. He was a man's man. Remember that Jesus Christ was the perfect uh, image. In the gospel record of Luke, it shows Jesus Christ is the perfect man. And to the Greek mind, remember they all had the statuesque uh, perfect men. In order to be considered a perfect man in Greek culture, you had to work out an hour every day. Well, some of us are not the perfect men that we want to be. But if Jesus was pictured as the perfect man to the Greek mind... Could it be perhaps that he was able to work out, exercise his body, and that he wasn't just a skinny guy, but he had some man behind him? But some people, because of their image of Jesus, who's afraid of him? There are other people who see Jesus as the suffering savior. That the only time they see Jesus is a picture of him up on the cross. And he is someone to be pitied for. And someone that you have sympathy for. Rather than realize that he is the king of kings. The king of glory. The Messiah. The coming one of prophecy. You understand how you see Jesus responds how you respond to him. There are some people who see God as nothing more as a bully. He's mean, oh God, he makes me obey. But remember that God knows everything about you and he loves you. Think about that. God knows everything about you and he still loves you. That's pretty amazing. He loves you. He cares for you. God wants the best for you. That's one of the reasons we could trust him and we could obey him to realize he loves us. He wants the best for us. How do I know he loves me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved you so much he didn't want to see you separated from God for all eternity in an awful place called hell. But God loved you so much that he decided to robe himself in flesh and come on this earth and live as the Lord Jesus Christ and that Jesus died for you and he died for me. That's how much he loves you. And because he loves me and because he knows everything about me and because I know who he is, I can trust him and I'm willing to obey him because of who God is. Do you know that the Bible makes reference of this same idea in the book of Proverbs chapter three? And if you wouldn't mind, would you take some time to look with me in the book of Proverbs in chapter number three? And I want to spend some time here, here to show this reference, how we see God affects how we respond to him. And the Bible speaks about this. It makes that reference to Jesus Christ in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Notice with me if you wouldn't mind. In Proverbs chapter 3, let's start in verse number 1. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Here it's talking about that a As a father-son relationship, the son should obey the law and the commandments given from the father. Well, Jesus, God is our heavenly father, and because he loves us, because he he wants the best for us, we should obey him. Verse number two, for the length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Verse number two, as we obey the Lord, God is gives blessings to us and we need his blessings. Verse three, let not, let not mercy and truth forsake thee Bind them about thy neck, Write upon them on the table of thine heart. So shall thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Here again, it's talking about mercy and truth. As we obey God, God gives us mercy and truth. And as we follow him, God gives us good finds his favor and good understanding. Verse number five it's leading to this so far. Some people have this as their life verse and it's a good life verse. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Do you know that there's some things that we are wrong in our understanding for? Think about the disciples. Why did they go get the colt? Because they trusted God. They knew who God was. Even though that was a tough ass to do. Go into this town by yourselves. Go find this cult. And if anybody talks to you, tell them that the Lord has need of this. To them, it may not have made sense. But they obeyed anyways. They lean not on their own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not into thine own understanding. But in all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy You know, there is a way that seemeth right to man, but it leads to destruction. But as we say, God, you lead me in the right path. You show me the right thing. Lord, I'm going to trust in you. Even if it doesn't make sense, if you say it, I'm going to obey it. He's going to lead you on the right path. Why can I say that? You know, to the lost world, to those that aren't following God, they don't understand this concept that, God, you just tell me what to do. And I'll do it even if it doesn't make sense. It baffles them. They think understanding should come first, then I'll obey. Well, if you tell me why I should do this, then I'll do it if it sounds good. But God says you do it first, then understanding will come. This principle is found all throughout the Bible. That you obey first, then you understand. He wants to see if you're going to obey even if it doesn't make sense sometimes. Notice as it goes on. "'Be not wise in thine own eyes, "'fear the Lord and depart from evil, "'and it shall be health to thy navel "'and marrow to thy bones.'" Verse number nine. "'Honor the Lord with thy substance "'and with the first fruits of all thine increase. "'So shall thy barns be filled with plenty.'" And presses shall burst out with new wine. It says that we're supposed to worship God. Honor him. Respect him. Even with our substance. This is a way. A physical way to prove our devotion through God. Is through our giving. It's a way that we could show that we're honoring God. And that God will take care of us. It says in verse number 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. In verse number 11 and 12, it talks about because God loves us, he will chasten us, he will discipline us, he will correct our path. That is something a loving God does. When you see that we have a loving God, then we won't despise his chastening. We will say, yes, I messed up. But when you are resentful and rebellious against a father, then you don't like his chastening. You become more resentful, more hateful. This is one of the reasons why we as parents need to make sure we don't discipline in anger because it discourages a child. It makes them not respect us. It makes them not one to follow us. It causes more rebellion. But when a child sees that because we love them, we're correcting our behavior, they respond better to that. When we look at God and he sees us as he crack, uh, takes us in the south. We said take us outside the woodshed. And you see that he does that because he loves us. Then you see what a great God we have. You see all of it is based of our vision of God. Who is God? Is he a God that loves you? Yes. Is he a God that knows everything about you? Yes. Does he ha- is he a God who wants the best for you? Yes. When you see that he's a God who wants the best for us, then we're able to respond to him and trust him and allow him to guide our path. Verse number 13, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Where does this wisdom and understanding come from? As we look to God as we trust Him, as we acknowledge that He is good and that He is right no matter what happens. We witness a God who loves us and we get to see on the other side what He was trying to do for us. Let me give an example. Today's Father's Day, of course, so we can make a lot of uh, Father's Day illustrations and get away with it. But you take a child. Sometimes a child, you tell them, don't play out in the street. And they go, why? They don't have a concept of how dangerous it is. And that We try to explain to them, but a child doesn't understand that. A child lives for the moment. The ball bounces off. My job is to get it. They don't understand how much of a danger they're in. You may take to a teenager and give them instructions. No, you can't be out past 10 o'clock. And they may look at you and say, you're just holding me back. You just don't want me to have fun. Whereas we understand there's a danger that they don't see. And we're giving them a correction. And maybe later on they'll go back and say, I see why they did that. A parent may say, guess what? You wake up during the summer at 8 o'clock in the morning, every morning. And the kid says, that's not fair. That's not right. My friends sleep till 2 o'clock. Well, (laughs) you're not your friends. But they may understand later there was wisdom behind it. We're teaching them how to have discipline, how to have work, and that there's, there's something to it. You may take a child and t- say, guess what? Guess what you're going to do today? You're going to mow the lawn. Praise the Lord. They may not think that that's something fun. But as they obey, they may understand later. You know what my parents were doing? They were teaching me how to work. And that was good for me. That understanding comes later. What they're supposed to do is say, I trust my parents that they know me and they want the best for me and they care for me and I can trust them. I may not like it, but I could trust them. Well, as you look at your heavenly father and you recognize that he loves you, he cares for you, he wants the best for you and he knows everything and he knows everything about you, then as you obey him, even if it's something you don't want to do, you can trust him And later on, you could say, I see what he was doing. I understand now. You see, it all starts with our vision of God. Who is God? Is he a loving God who loves you? Or is he a mean dictator? Is he a loving God who knows everything? Or is he a God that doesn't see the whole picture and you know more than him? Is he a God who wants the best for you? Or is he a God that just looks for slaves? You understand how we see God translates how we respond to him. Even in our idea of service. Why do I serve God? I don't serve God in order to get his favor. I don't serve God in order to uh, get something from him. I serve God because of what he's already done for me. It's the right motive. Why should I obey my parents? Because they love me. Because they want the best for me. Why should I obey my God? Because he loves me and he wants the best for me. Even if I don't understand, the understanding will come later as I obey him. As I recognize he wants the best for me. So it all comes down to this. How is your vision of God? Who is God? Is he a God that loves you? Is he the king? Is he the messiah? Is he the omnipotent one? Or is he just some guy? Some thing? Some God who's far away and doesn't care for you? How do you see your God?